0: And all God's people said? Amen. 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 We're praying together on all of that, okay? Let's turn to uh, the book of Ecclesiastes tonight. Let's go to chapter 9, okay? One of the reasons that uh, we try to stress, you need to know what is being said in the Word of God because if you just pick and choose verses, well, you might pick out the wrong ones, and occasionally it's kind of comical you'll see people that uh, maybe on social media or something like that they'll pick out a phrase out of a verse that they really like when you read the whole verse you find out no that's not good that was a judgment statement or something like that and if they don't know they don't know they just kind of pull whatever they want out we want to always be careful about that and again we're going to stress this you want to know what did the author intend when he wrote the book. And you want to know what did the original audience understand when they wrote it. Then, when we kind of travel back in time to see what they meant and what they got, then we can cross the bridge to our culture, to our language, to all of that. And uh, nowhere is this more evident than in the book of Ecclesiastes. You're reading the writings of a backslidden king who has messed up his life, who has a lot of regrets... And there are some things that pour out of him onto these pages that we read that are horrible and they're dark and they're sometimes discouraging. Now, why would God allow that to be put in his word? You see, if you... uh, take verses, and some of the verses we look at tonight, i seem them kind of taken out of context as a, a promise or an encouraging word, but when you read them in the whole thing, they're not quite that. You see, Solomon, at his heart, is not quite where it needs to be. Why would God allow that? And he is showing us that even with all of the blessings and the gifts of God that we have and that we experience, Solomon was raised by Uh, the greatest king Israel ever had, David Uh, think about all of the advantages he had in terms of wealth in terms of privilege, in terms of education, all of those kind of things think about how he was instructed in the things of the Lord so when he became king, Yahweh was not foreign to Solomon and the word of God was not foreign to Solomon or anything like that at all In fact, uh, you get a glimpse into him when the Lord says, What do you want me to give you? And Solomon says, I want you to give me wisdom so that I might properly judge these people. And God blessed that. And he said, Because you didn't ask for these other things, I'm going to go ahead and throw them in as well. So we find somebody with all of these great advantages plus the gift of wisdom. And what did he do with it? The same thing you and I do with our lives and with our gifts and with our talents. We think it's all about us. We think it's our option, whether we use them or not use them, or whether we use them for God's glory or for our own advantage. I mean, all kinds of things that we know that that Solomon did. And uh, we can end up with a life of regret. And there is a very, very sad thing to think about, that you could know Christ, and you could know His Word, and you could know the principles of His Word, and still end up When you draw your final breath of having wasted your life and having regret over all of that, Uh, there's a better way. And I believe that the context of Ecclesiastes is to show us how far somebody like you or me, with all of the advantages, how far we can actually fall. How our minds can be twisted and shaped by sin and by the enemy and by the culture. And all of that can end up robbing us. The thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. Well, Solomon is a perfect example of that. He's so far from the abundant life, he's so far from the fruit of the Spirit, he's so far from having the joy of the Lord, which is his strength. Now he's tired, he's old, he has regret. He's run out of runway. What is he going to do now? How does he take off? How does he accomplish anything? I mean, all he sees is the bitter end. And one of the things that you notice about people as they get older, they talk more about the end. I never, as a teenager, sat down with a friend and said, you know, I'm thinking about planning my funeral. Never. But I've sat down with people that were in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, and we've done that plenty of times. Why? Because you see things differently, and you see the shortness of what is remaining. And so Solomon's words here remind us about the brevity of life. It reminds us about the futility of living in our own strength. And so Solomon, once again, once again, is going to bring up something that we have read several times in this book. Are they good things? Well, some of them are, kind of. And are there some things in here that are kind of dark and bad? Yeah, I think so. And God gives them as an example of what not to be. You can learn from the negative. So I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles there. And one of the things that you have to understand as you read this, Solomon is not writing us a theology. Solomon is not writing us uh, from the standpoint of, you know, somebody who would say, this is what happens after you die. This is what happens... When you draw your last breath. He's not writing about heaven. He's not writing about hell. How do I know that? Okay, context again. He uses the phrase under the sun. What does that mean? Earth means life. We get up in the morning and the sun rises. The sun is getting ready to go down. And we'll go to bed. And then tomorrow we'll wake up. Lord willing. And the sun will be up again. And so the earth is under the sun. So Solomon is not telling us anything here about what happens after you die in heaven or in hell he's telling us about what happens when you die on earth you stop thinking you start you stop planning you stop having any input in anything it's too late to change anything those are the things you're going to see because that is what happens here on this earth we bury those bodies, we entomb those bodies, and they never speak to us again. He's not talking again about the soul in heaven, he's talking about the body on the earth. And that's what he emphasizes it's under the sun, not in heaven, not in hell. Say, we clear on that? Under the sun. So, verse 1 says So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise. And what they do are in God's hands. Solomon's always big on the sovereignty of God. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. That's interesting. Some people are going to go into the love of God forever and ever. And some people are going to go under the wrath of God forever and ever. And Solomon says when you're under the sun, you really don't have any earthly idea. You have hope and you have indication. But we've never been either place, right? So he's just making that statement. Verse 2. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, Gentiles in other words, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not offer sacrifices, either disobedient Jews or again Gentiles. As it is with the good, so with the sinful... And as it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil, and that word evil can be translated the calamity, not necessarily sin, but the the calamity, the disaster in everything that happens under the sun. There it is, under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all, everybody, The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, depravity, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. Madness there doesn't mean anger. It means insanity. People live a crazy life and expect a different result. And there's madness, insanity, uh, uh, incoherency in their hearts while they live, and afterward, they join the dead. Doesn't matter how popular, how rich, how revolutionary. Doesn't matter. They all end up in the same place, Solomon says. Verse 4. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Again, he's talking about under the sun. That's not a statement about heaven or hell. It's talking about the corpse. They have no further reward and even their name is forgotten. Well, that's certainly true, isn't it? Verse 6, their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Solomon's way of saying, who cares? If somebody is an enemy and they want to kill me and they die, who cares what they thought about me? They can't do anything about it now. That's what he's saying. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun they're finished they're done verse 7 go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for God has already approved what you do always be clothed in white in other words don't be mourning and don't be sad and don't be despondent and all of that and always anoint your head with oil. Remember what Jesus said when you're fasting, don't look like you're a basket case. Anoint your head with oil, wash your face, and look like you have something to live for. Well, that's what Solomon is saying here, too. And in verse 9, enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. There it is again, that phrase. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Again, he's talking about under the sun, the corpse that remains on the earth. Verse 11. I have seen something else under the sun... The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, for uh, favor to the, or favor to the learned, the educated. But time and chance, random things, unknown things, happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come, hour of death. Here's how Solomon describes death for humanity. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil or calamitous times that fall unexpectedly upon them. And his point in those last few verses are when a net is dragged through uh, the Sea of Galilee, for example, it gets all kinds of fish. Some of them you go, I don't want that, and you throw it back. Some of them are just killed and tossed aside. And then there's the prize catch. He said, death is like a net that gets all of us, whether we're rich, poor, whether we're educated or uneducated, it's just like a bird in the snare. It may catch the wrong kind of bird. It may catch a bird you don't really care about. It just is there to catch everyone. And so he is reminding us of something that we don't often like to talk about. It's something that we all know instinctively and we have experienced it in the lives of other people. Everybody is going to die. Everybody is going to die. There's a little story about a king who had a jester and the jester was just so silly and foolish and the king had a little golden wand and he gave it to the jester and he said, I want you to travel the kingdom just for fun. And when you find someone who is a bigger fool than you, hand them the golden wand. So the jester said, okay. And he takes off and he goes interviewing people, traveling the kingdom far and wide, talking to anybody and everybody that he could talk to, looking for someone who was a bigger fool than himself. And then one day the jester heard from the king. A messenger came and said, jester, you must return to the capital. You must return to the palace. The king is on his deathbed and he wants to see you. So the jester, heartbroken, hurried back and hurried to his king. And sure enough, there was the king in weakness and in sickness lying there on his bed. The jester began to weep and the king said, My little friend, I'm glad you came back. I'm glad you made it. He said, I'm about to embark upon a long journey. A journey from which I'll never return. And the jester said to the king, Did you know about this journey? And the king said, Alas, I did know. And the jester then asked the question, Did you prepare for this journey? And the king said, No, no I did not. And the jester with tears in his eyes handed him the wand and said, Then you, sire, are the biggest fool in the kingdom. Well, there's a good point to that story, isn't there? We know we're going to die. Everybody in the world knows that they're going to die except maybe a small child. We know it, and yet we don't really prepare for it. How many times does it catch us off guard? Now there's a spiritual significance to that too. That uh, you know you're going to die and you don't get right with God. How foolish is that? And it also means just in our personal life in preparing our spouse or making sure that our affairs are in order or we've done the things that we ought to do. We always say, oh, someday I'll get to that. Someday I'll get to that. And there are a lot of old people that, well, they can't buy life insurance anymore. They're uninsurable. Get it while you are younger. Make sure that... Your will is in order. Make sure that, that we know uh, even now. Let us know about your, what you want for your funeral so we don't have to put that burden on your family. And we'll keep it here and pull it out when the time comes and then your wishes will be granted. There are all kinds of things that we think about with all of this. And so when Solomon talks about this, he's talking about something that is uncomfortable and yet it's something that we all kind of know. And so I've summarized these things just into to some truths and some principles for each one of these sections of Scripture. And you're going to know all of these kind of things, but you need to be reminded of these things. And all of us, young and old, we need to think a little bit more about what if there is no tomorrow? What if there is no 2021 in our future? Because none of us have any idea how long we're going to live. That's been determined by God according to Psalm 139. Well, here's the first thing that Solomon brings up that we ought to think about. Number one, life and judgment are out of our hands. There's a lot in life that you cannot control. If you have any degree of age upon you at all, you've already learned that. There are some things you cannot control. There are dreams and goals. There are things that you pursued. And then you found out later on that, well, playing in the NBA was not going to be... Uh, even though you were great when you were playing, you know, Little League type stuff, the playing in the NBA or the NFL or any of those kind of things, MLB, it's not in your future. You're limited by some things. You might have found out, uh, like a friend of mine did, we were just about a, a couple of weeks away from high school graduation, and my friend was in line to be a valedictorian of our class. He was so excited. And then he got his report card, and in the last nine weeks of his senior year, he made his first B. Took it all away from him. That changed. There are all kinds of things that happen in life. Nobody plans to get cancer. Nobody plans to have heart trouble. Nobody plans any of those kind of things. And when we look at our life and we evaluate our life, there's another thing that we need to understand, too. Who determines whether our life had weight and worth and value in terms of our accomplishments? Well, it's not us, it's God. And how do we know how God is going to appraise our lives? Paul told us that we're going to stand before a judgment, not for salvation, but where God makes an appraisal of our lives. And it's either going to come back as precious stones or as ashes. Our life is either being built with gold and silver and precious stones because it's for the glory of Christ, or it's going to be because it was selfish and we really didn't care about anything but ourselves. And when we did, we wanted the praise and the glory for it. And so it's like wood, hay, and stubble going into the fire. How does all of that work? I don't have any idea. I wish I did. I might change some things. But I don't know. And so whether it's life or whether it's the judgment later on, none of us really know for sure what all is going to happen and how all of that works. And so Solomon is affirming to us the greatness and the glory of God and we'd better have our life right with him. We'd better be walking with him. We'd better be pleasing him and glorifying him because he's not going to ask us on the day of judgment, how did you feel about your life and your time on earth? Because that's going to be irrelevant. We're not going to have a case that we're going to be able to make because he knows everything, even the hidden things of the heart. And so as Solomon writes these words, it kind of reminds me I need to take life seriously for the time that I have left because I'm going to stand before God one day to give an account for all of the blessings of salvation and all of the spiritual gifts and all of the opportunities that he has given me. And there's a little bit of that that terrifies me and it probably ought to for all of us. We all will stand before him. Secondly, you'll notice that the circumstances of life are unpredictable, well, except for one. Maybe two. Um, We all know this. Nothing is certain in life except death and taxes. Yeah, you got it. It's almost that time, isn't it? But Solomon doesn't really talk about that. He talks more about the idea of death. This is the one thing in life that is predictable. The one thing in life that we can count on Every one of us at some time in our life are going to die. And the Bible doesn't promise us any way out of that. We're told in Psalm 139 that the number of our days was determined by God before there were any of them. So in other words, before you even uh, had a day, God had already determined how many days you were going to have. Look in the obituary column in the paper sometime and just pay attention. You'll find mail... And you'll find female in there. You'll find transgenders in there. You'll find gays in there, lesbians in there, republicans in there, democrats in there. You'll find uh, 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 people that are in the penitentiary. You'll find people that are considered to be paragons of virtue. I mean, all of them are in there. And you'll find them also. This is what is striking from all ages. You know, if we could just say only people over 80 die, okay, we could... Kind of live our lives, engage it accordingly. But when you look through there, you'll see some people that are in their 30s. You'll see some people that are in their teens. You'll see some little children that die. It's very sad. And all of those things are things that happen and are not really planned and not really prayed for. I have never once prayed, oh God, thank you for my grandchildren. I pray that none of them live past five. i I've Never done that. I've never said, oh, Lord, I thank you that I was able to turn 60. Please make sure that I don't turn 61. Now, we can get into the realm of suicide and all of that, but that's not what Solomon's talking about. He's talking about in the normal course of life. There are some things that you and I just don't know, and we're not given any particular promises as to how long our life will last except this one thing it is appointed unto man once to die the book of Hebrews says and then the judgment so even tonight i ask you are you are you ready are you ready to die are you ready to meet god the book of amos it says to the people of israel prepare to meet thy god pretty good thing for us to think about tonight let's go on down to the third thing after that large portion of verses Um, We'll summarize the next section by saying this. Heaven heaven on earth, pardon me, is the impossible dream. Uh, One of the things that I remember from my childhood is watching Andy Griffith. Remember that? And uh, I can remember when they turned to color, I didn't like them anymore. The black and white ones were the best. You know, the other thing I didn't care for about Andy Griffith, I didn't like it much after Barney uh, went away. You know what I mean? And one guy that uh, was on there all the time was a guy named Gomer Pyle. Remember Gomer Pyle? Isn't that sad that he turned out to be uh, a homosexual? And uh, got married in his 80s to uh, his partner and all of that. It's just sad to think about that. But um, when you think about those days back in the 60s, the late 60s, I was a little kid. And one of the things about Gomer was he was this goofy gas station attendant guy, talked like a hick, and yet his singing voice surprised everybody. Even after he had his own show, Sergeant Carter and everybody was always surprised by the way he sang. And you want one of the songs I remember him singing? is a song called The Impossible Dream. And we're encouraged to dream the impossible dream, to fight the unbeatable foe and all of those kind of things. Nice, you know. But you know what I noticed? Everybody has this view of life and view on earth that I call the impossible dream. Every politician, I will make peace. I will heal the economy. I will solve racism. I will make sure that everybody has their rights. Health care for all. All of these kind of things. What are they really saying? I can bring... Heaven on earth. Now, you don't have to read very far into what Solomon says, and you can certainly read Romans chapter 3, and uh, we all have experienced earth is full of depraved human beings. The hearts of desperately wicked people, people that betray, people that lie, people that are in it for themselves, people that will use you and abuse you if they can. All kinds of things. And they leave hurt and and despair and all of that in in their wake. Well, notice that Solomon said, the hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil. And there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. You know what he was saying? Heaven on earth is an impossibility. We're not going to fix everything that happens here on earth, and we're not going to make it all happen. There's only one who can do that, and that is the Lord Jesus. And some of us are so disappointed in life because we were expecting what only heaven can deliver. And we thought we would get it here. We thought it would happen here. And we need to get it in our minds. That's not going to happen. Number four, here's a universal truth. Redemption is impossible after death. Now, there's hope while somebody's living. And I may pray for somebody to be saved, somebody to get their life right with God. And until they breathe their dying breath, I'll pray for that. I'll pray for that. But there's no second chances, are there? For the lost, once they die, they are out of the presence of the Lord, and they are in hell, separated from God, and then later into the lake of fire forever. That was the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels, and no second chances, no way out. That's horrifying to think about. But while they're still breathing, while they're still here, They may be one of God's elect, and they may trust the Lord. Keep praying for them. Don't ever give up. Get more fervent, in fact. And for the child of God, when we die absent from the body and we're present with the Lord. Now, we all know that. We all know that. But think about the things that you, if you were to die today, would there be any unfinished business? Would there be anything to where you would say, Oh Lord, just one more day and I'll get that done. Oh Lord, I always meant to do that. I always meant to witness to this one person. I meant to leave this letter for somebody. I meant to volunteer my time. Just, just give me another day so I can do that. Well, you don't have that promise. And once you die, it's too late to serve God anymore under the sun. It's too late to invest in someone's life under the sun. Those days are gone. I had a man that said to me, he said, God has given me a lot of wisdom. And he goes, and I want to pour it into you and a few of my friends. He said, because when I die, this brain is going to decay. And all of the things that are in here that God has taught me will be gone unless I can put them in you. I want to tell you something. He was right. That's the way it is under the sun. And so Solomon is telling us, Do what you are supposed to do and do it now because there are no second chances after you die. Whether it is the death of a lost person in hell or the death of a believer, those chances are over. Do it now. And number five, notice here your time is limited and don't make life harder than it is. And he talks about going and eating your food. He talks about enjoying life. He talks about wearing white and anointing your head. In other words, we're not supposed to be the glum people walking around saying life and the days that we live in are evil and I don't know when I'm going to die. It could be any day now. And oh, all of my friends are going to die. Boy, you can get pretty glum on all of that. And God never intended for that. He wants you to enjoy life. Enjoy what He has given you. Enjoy your relationships, especially in your marriage because you don't really get... um, Many chances at those kind of things, right? And he wants us, verse 9, to enjoy life. And uh, that's what he talks about in the rest. Because other than that, life is really pretty meaningless. Other than that, what really matters when you die? Other than that, what do you really leave behind? Well, I hope I can leave behind a legacy of holiness, faithfulness. But there's one other thing that I think is sometimes left out among people that say they want to be uh, holy and faithful. Where is the joy? Where is the laughter? Where is the idea that life is a gift and God is good and God brings us through all of these kind of things? We act sometimes as if God has fallen off of his throne. We act sometimes as if life and fate have turned cruel on us. And then we come to church and talk about the sovereignty of God. What's wrong with us? We need to get it all together, and we need to find joy in our salvation. That's what David prayed in Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's his, not ours, and there ought to be joy in it. Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord is our strength. If you're a joyless Christian, then you don't have any strength. The Bible says in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit, number two in there, is love and joy. And so joy ought to be in our lives and everything that we do. And I believe it's the will of God that we live in such a way that we enjoy our work. We enjoy our church. We enjoy our neighborhood. We enjoy the food that we eat. We enjoy the prosperity that we have. We enjoy being able to spend money that we've earned. All of that is is a good thing. Don't ever feel guilty or glum about that. Surrender it to the Lordship of Christ. And He wants you to enjoy the things that you have here on earth. And number five, understand that all the advantages that one may have, they end when you die. Yeah, okay? He said, this is under the sun. The race is not to the swift because even the slow people die and they end up in the same place. I was uh, the other day driving along and there was this person that couldn't wait to get around me. And as soon as they saw their chance, I mean, they went all the way around. You know, I knew what they were doing because I used to be that person. And you know what was really funny? We both ended up at the same red light. He had to stop just like I did. That's what Solomon is saying. It doesn't matter whether you're swift or slow. It doesn't matter whether you're smart or dumb. It doesn't matter whether you're righteous or unrighteous. Here's the deal. We're all caught like fish in the net and in the net of death. It's going to come. And whatever advantages you think that you have right now or that other people think you have, you may be the most beautiful young lady in the world. Live long enough. That'll change you ever watch Sanford and Son? Here's my Fred Sanford quote. Ain't nothing uglier than a 90-year-old white woman. That's what he said. That's what he said. And you know what? Beauty does fade. Well, except for one person. I had an aunt that she was pretty homely, and my grandfather on the other side of the family said, one thing about her, her beauty will never fade. Nice guy, right? Irish sense of humor. Uh, This is all that we've got tonight to think about these things your life is temporary no matter how good how spiritual how talented how rich how advantaged whatever it may be your life is temporary secondly realize that and make sure you live for the glory of God because you may not get another day to do so do it today this is a Christianity is a today religion if you want to call it that okay now While there's time. The third thing is that I would uh, exhort you on is don't be so quick and harsh to judge other people because you really don't know what they've been through and you don't know what life has done to them because life is unpredictable except for one thing. And it may have been that God just graced you to avoid some things that other people are going to have to go through. Have some compassion. Give them some help. Pray for them. Love them. Be a friend to people like that. And then the other thing that I would say is the time that you've been given here on earth and whatever you've been given, don't let covetousness and jealousy and envy and wishful thinking and Facebook, don't let it steal that from you. Enjoy your life, not somebody else's. Don't spend your time or waste your time thinking, if only I had what they have, that's an impossible thing. And don't ever think that somebody in Washington, D.C. is going to fix your life. Our Father, which art in Washington, hallowed be thy name. Provide for us all of our income and our medical care and everything that we want. Do you realize how blasphemous that is? And so as Solomon gives us these things... Yeah, there's some things we might want to dispute with him a little bit about, but I think the overlying principles of the reasons why God put them in there are very valuable to us. Very valuable to the way we shape and frame our lives. And when we die, we don't want our lives to be just a vapor that disappears. We want our lives to be filled with good works and filled with honor and filled with legacy that can be left behind. Filled with memories where other people will think of us and smile and filled with clear footprints that other people, when we're gone, might be able to follow along and obey God and to honor Him. Life is short. Live it to its fullest. And that means living it for the glory and the honor of God. And all God's people said to that, amen. Let me encourage you to do so. Do whatever you do to the (laughs) glory of God. Pray with me. Lord, we are so wasteful of the hours and the days and the weeks and the months and the years and even the decades of our lives. We always think we're going to get things straightened out someday, one of these days, tomorrow, later. And we procrastinate in so many things As if we could live forever here under the sun. And Solomon makes it clear under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be that way. Thank you for giving us insight into a carnal man's thinking. So that we can avoid it and learn from the negative. And help us, Lord, to have joy in our lives as the fruit of the Spirit, as the strength of the Lord, and to testify of a God who is a creator, who is a redeemer, who sent his Son for us, who loves us, who provides for us. And may we find our joy and great joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, let us die in a manner that brings honor and glory to you with the dignity that we desire Let us die in a way where we go out in a blaze of glory like we would think about. But most of all, Lord, let us die having finished the work that you've called us to do like the apostle Paul did. And we pray this, asking you to grant that because you're the only one that'll make it happen. And we pray you would forgive us. And we pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing before we